Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Mike Tirico, an NBC sportscaster. Hello and welcome. We are joining you for class EJ, right? The great Ernie Jones class is in session. Uh, Mike Tirico, glad to hang with you and ask, uh, I guess, answer some of the questions you'll have about uh, EJ, not Ernie really, but time in the business, uh, the way Ernie has done so well with Brian Anderson and a whole bunch of other announcers as well. Uh, this should be a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll enjoy it. And uh, we'll take a half hour or so of questions and uh, talk about the business. First off, I want to start with everybody. Uh, our wishes that you are safe, your family's healthy, and everybody's doing well in these difficult and challenging times. Obviously, we have uh, done our best to try to keep folks entertained. And we've done that with uh, Lunch Talk Live, a show on NBCSN. And that show has really come together pretty quick in the last week or so. Uh, we're talking to a lot of our NBC sports colleagues and friends, and we are doing our best to give people a distraction, I would say, from what's going on in the real important stuff. And there's more valuable things to watch on TV on NBCSN, uh, MSNBC, I should say, CNN, Fox News, all your local around the country affiliates and outlets that are trying to pass along the COVID-19 news. And I think you all know that that's the most important thing. So if we can give you a distraction, which is what sports is best suited for, then uh, maybe we're doing the right thing and hopefully we can do that. So that's our task here. That's our goal. And I uh, look forward to sharing some time with all of you and being able to um, answer some questions here along the way about uh, really want to keep it to the students in the business as EJ's class has been doing. Uh, what those next steps and plans are, I'd love to do that. All right, now let's hit this one. Somebody just says uh, who's taking courses on becoming a radio host, but would like to transition to TV anchoring from Fantasy Football Football J, I believe that call is. Thank you for that, buddy. Um, I, I believe that this method of communications is the same, whether you can see it or hear it. Uh, the technology is what changes the whole deal, right? Um, Let's talk play-by-play -play for a second. When you do play-by-play -play for an event on radio, it's different because you have to give the geography. You have to talk about the sidelines, the mid-court line, all those different things, right? Uh, in TV, everybody can see that. So for me, what I try to do is you try to take the same basics of documenting the game, informing the audience, keeping them entertained, but that has to take a back skill a little bit when you're doing radio play-by-play -play to painting the picture. And I think that's what really separates radio from TV. You tell them about the uniform colors and the sidelines. Think of like Kevin Harlan, who's one of my favorites, who I think is one of the best. Kevin is so good at painting the picture when uh, a quarterback takes a five-step drop and he throws a high-arching spiral, right? Kevin's so good at that. You don't hear him say that when he's doing games with Rich Gannon on CBS on a Sunday. So that's a perfect example of how you can take the same skill set from Sunday to Monday, Kevin on CBS TV, Kevin on Westwood One Radio, and you drop the geography. And now all of a sudden you're having a full conversation about the broadcast with a painted picture. So the skills are the same. It's just 
using them in different ways. Geography is the main one and be more descriptive, right? Uh, thank you for that question. I wish you well. I think experience in both transfers to one another. If you have a chance to be in radio, it makes it easier to go to TV. If you've done TV, you have the geography and you can uh, pick up the radio gig and that part of it as well. So really good question. Somebody put in a question there. When does Tiger tee off? That's uh Sad thing for all of us, we are missing the Masters for sure. Uh, this is always a great week for any of us who love the Masters and who love going to Augusta National and be fortunate enough to cover the event. And I got to host it for a bunch of years on cable after Bill McAtee did an awesome job on USA Network. And then Scott Van Pelt now does a great job on ESPN in Butler Cabin. And um, we miss being there for sure. We hope some way that uh, we'll all get there in November and be a um, be a part of what will be a unique and a very different Masters. Uh, but in the interim, in the interim, uh, let's wait and see how this whole thing plays out in the golf world. The calendar in golf is really compact and very different. They hope they can get a lot of events in a short period of time. So let's hope that happens. Can't read your name, but somebody asked what our preparation looks like. I don't have the access to all my stuff close by here. Uh, but preparation, I think, is the key for any play-by-play broadcasters, studio hosts. And I think they're different, too. Uh, doing both jobs, you have to be both uh, traffic cop, information provider. Uh, I, I think in TV, the best of the play-by-play folks are really working off their analyst. <clears throat> the analyst of the stars, in my opinion, in TV. And uh, what I try to do when we prepare is make sure that you hear what your analyst in that sport wants to talk about. What are the topics? What's the range? What are the different ideas they have on why one team is successful, why another team is being successful? And you help amplify those during the broadcast. Sometimes you can ask a question that you don't know the answer to on the air. And that's a, that's a lot of fun. But overall, when you can lead them to the next place, the next thought, and you can be two people, if you will, sitting on a, a couch or sitting next to each other at a bar watching a game, if you can have that conversation, uh, that makes it the most fun. So my preparation involves what no one or analysts are going to do and then all the work. The the PR teams from the NBA and the NFL and the NHL and Major League Baseball, I'm sure, uh, certainly college sports information directors, directors of athletic communication are so good at providing you all the information you need. Times have changed in the 30 years that I've been doing this. We now can get our hands on so much content information, background on athletes, all of that stuff. Uh, we are able to do that pretty easily and share uh, the basic information. I think what separates in preparation are those interviews you can do one-on-one -on -one with folks, those conversations you have with coaches and players, or you can get on the air and share some of those thoughts. To me, that's where our preparation changes. And what I do is I happen to use Microsoft Excel because that's what I was competent at uh, 25 years ago or so. And I just do a chart with all the players and do their stats, their information, all those different things, and uh, have it in front of me. And I, I always like to say that our broadcast is an open book test. Um, we have to kind of give all of our preparation, see what's happening, and figure out what information plays out. I'm going to take the questions up on the screen there. Uh, that's the next part of that. What kind of information do we have coming in our headsets uh, from our producers during a broadcast. And that's producers or directors sometimes will tell us this shot's coming up, those types of things. Uh, for me and for all of us, 
I think those producers are really the MVPs of broadcast. TV sports producers are really a fascinating breed because they have to bring together multiple different skills. And I've worked with some great ones. Uh, currently work with Rob Highland, who produces not just only our Football Night in America show on NBC, but also has produced things like our Triple Crown coverage, Notre Dame football with us together, among many, many different things that Rob, Rob does. And because of that, we've got a great relationship and he knows what I'm thinking. I know what he's thinking. Jay Rothman was somebody who I worked with at the ESPN. I've had the chance early in my ESPN days and even more lately to work with Fred Gidelli, uh, who is the all-time best producer uh, in the history of the National Football League. You say that with great comfort. Ask John Madden, ask Al Michaels, ask Chris Collinsworth. I'll tell you, Freddie is uh, supreme. He and Drew Eskoff together, you hear Al mention at the end of every broadcast, they are exceptional. So to give you an idea of what makes a good producer, great people skills, fabulous people skills, the ability to work with everybody from the teams to the athletes, to the announcers, to the production staff, to your directors, to your graphics operators, everybody in the production has to feed off the producer. The producer is the center of attention for a TV broadcast. So if you don't have great people skills, it's hard to become a great producer. Second is an unbelievable command of the content for the show. That means what's going on live, same preparation level as the announcers. That means what you've prepared during the week, history of the game, when a moment happens, do you have the right role in? Do you have the right thing to share with the audience? But also, if the announcer is focused on calling the game in the moment, a one or two word statement from a producer in your ear might help get you to a different place. Don't forget what he told us last week. Don't forget what she said was going to be the key to the game. A reminder like that in your parallel preparation helps steer the broadcast a certain way. Uh, I think also an incredible calm. There is no better analogy of that whole duck smooth on top and pedaling away up and down, up and down, up and down super fast uh, underneath than a TV producer. Because TV producer has to be listening to the announcers, talking to us, talking to the analyst, talking to the sideline reporter, dealing with the director, have the graphics, kind of the tape operators and the replays and all that. And that's all going on at once in their headset. And they've got to keep it really calm when they talk to the announcers so we can hear their direction clearly. Uh, I think if you had to listen to one headset on a TV broadcast, network TV, you would probably enjoy listening to a producer more than anything else because it is sheer chaos. And to me, producers are the MVPs of television broadcast. And I'm blessed to work with several who are phenomenal. Becky Chapman, who was our Olympics producer for me in Rio in, in uh, Pyeongchang, I should say, in 2018. Uh, just exceptional people who give you information and talent, uh, talented folks as well. I, I hate the use of the word talent. Sometimes a lot of us on the air as announcers are referred to as talent. I don't like that term at all because everybody in our business is incredibly talented, especially the people who are at the network level being able to do this. Let me jump around. Somebody asked a basketball question earlier about the best version of LeBron that I saw. It's hard to take away the LeBron that we saw in those finals, whether it was uh, in Miami, uh, the LeBron early on. I was just reminded recently of that game where he scored the last 25 points um, in, the, in the overtime win against Detroit in game five of an Eastern Conference final early in his career. But I think maybe the best LeBron that I saw and this is a little off the beaten path, would be LeBron who got 
the Cavs to the finals against the Spurs because that Cavs team was not a very talented team uh, in terms of championship-level talent. No disrespect to their individual NBA talent, but that was not one of the elite NBA collections of talent like he's had at other stops along the way here in Miami and certainly time two in Cleveland and Los Angeles now with the Lakers. But LeBron got that team single-handedly to the final, like Sasha Pavlovich and uh, uh, Big Z, Zadrunas Ilgoskis. Uh, that team getting to the finals is incredible. And, I, and my joke was always LeBron should get half a ring for getting them to that finals against San Antonio where the Spurs were at the peak of their uh, terrific play and ended up winning the title. So I, I believe uh, firmly that the best LeBron I've seen just for a stretch was carrying that team to the NBA finals in many ways. He was, uh, he was so good and so much fun. And um, what he was able to do to overcome not having all-star level or superstar talent around him um, then was pretty interesting. Uh, It's going to be fun to watch the NBA. I I think the NBA seems to be positioned to come back uh, as quickly as possible. They were the first ones to pull the plug. They seem to be in position to, um, to pull the plug, uh, to put the plug back in as quickly as possible. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch. But good question about LeBron. Uh, what makes Al and Chris a great broadcasting duo? It's a really good question. And Al said a little bit of that when we had him on our show early in the week. Um, it's a great friendship that ends up coming on the air. And you hear two guys who love football, who come from a a place there where they understand each other's sensibilities and intelligence and uh, they hang out at dinner and have dinner conversation. You can translate that to on the air in a real comfortable way. And all of a sudden you realize you're just listening to a couple of people, right? Uh, Al and Chris and Michelle Tafoya do that really well. And I think it dovetails to all of us who have the opportunity to be part of an announcing team, right? Uh, I know Hubie Brown's a really good friend of mine. Paul Azinger, who was on the show today with Dan Hicks. Paul and I worked together for a while. Nick Faldo, they're all friends. And I think when you can bring that on the air, it helps make it a lot more interesting to listen to, a lot more fun, a lot more dynamic. And that's what makes good combinations over the years. And I I think you can almost sense it in a broadcast. And you think of uh, John Madden, whose 84th birthday is today. Uh, Madden and Summerall together were tremendous. They were a lot of fun to listen to. And uh, you just got the sense it was two guys watching a football game. And if you are in this business and want to do this, that's what I would strive for. And that's what I would try to get to at some point in your career. Um, Somebody asked earlier about the path to broadcasting. And I I think it's an interesting topic because you get that question a lot. I've been able to do a few of these uh, conversations with college students at uh, Michigan State and at my alma mater, Syracuse. There's no direct path to doing this. There's no direct way to say this is how you get on TV. This is how you get a radio job. I, I, th- I think the best way, and I was um, lucky enough to be able to do this, was to get a job and then continue to make a path as you're moving through. I started as uh, a production assistant, essentially, and was able to move up and got a chance on air when a couple of weekend sportscasters left in Syracuse and then got to ESPN and then got to NBC after that. And that's one path. But you're not going to follow that path. You're going to follow a path if you're a young broadcaster of getting that first job in news in a small market or becoming a weather person or becoming a person who's a digital journalist, working for 
uh, a system that, uh, or a conglomerate maybe, that has a digital outlet. And from there, you work into an on-air job on TV. You work into something else. And those are the types of things I think that play out in this business that people tend to enjoy, that people tend to succeed by going one step, next step, next step, and deal with some of the realities of market to market, city to city, uh, or stay within a market where you're really familiar, where you're really talented, and people get to know you and you move all the way up to another spot. So for me, that's where I try to find a, a best answer for what's your path to success in this business. To me, the success to path in this business, the successful path, I should say, in this business is the one that you're able to carve for yourself and the way you're able to move through and find that next job, whether it's within a market or it's outside of a market and moving from one place to the next place. Uh, somebody asked a question earlier about advice for college broadcasters. And I'd say for college broadcasters, what, one of the best things to do is to get experience on the air. And I think one of the things that you're able to do in doing that right now is you have advantages that maybe we didn't uh, 10, 20, 25 years ago. And that's the ability to call games into uh, your phone, which has a recorder, which has uh, a place where you can watch your work back. You can get in front of a camera and talk uh, on camera and practice doing a one minute live shot and go back and watch it back and be able to criticize it, be able to improve, find ways to get comfortable hearing your voice or looking at the things that you do. Uh, for me, that I, I think has been one of the advances in the last 10 or 15 years. That is why we have so many people who come out ready to be super talented broadcasters. Uh, you have more bandwidth in terms of, I don't know, uh, ESPN Plus, uh, Big Ten Network, college student broadcasts that are on Big Ten Network, uh, ACC Network. As these Olympic sports get broadcast more and more, it gives you an opportunity and a chance to get on the air and get coverage of events that didn't get covered before and have play-by-play -play opportunities that others haven't had before. Uh, so for me, I think that's the best way for college broadcasters to gain experience. And if your radio station doesn't have uh, a college sports outlet, you could still go into the top of the stands and practice broadcasting a game. Uh, many high schools, that's the other one I didn't point out. There are so many high schools now who have their games on local cable outlets, uh, cable access in communities. I, I think that's changed all of this as well, too. So more than ever, there are opportunities to find ways to get yourself on the air, to get yourself experience on the air, and to perhaps more importantly, find ways to get yourself better because i think we all try to do that I, I don't know about any of you who are college broadcasters i'd love to hear if you do this or not uh college broadcasters listening back to your work or college newscasters who listen back to your work is something that's really important um i, I try to watch as much as i can going back to listen to my work how i can get better how can i improve um how it comes through the TV, because you'll hear a producer in your ear, you're listening to your analyst, listening to the sideline reporter, calling the game, paying attention to your preparation. You're not hearing how the fan at home is hearing all of that. So if you can take a step back and put the TV on and watch a broadcast, you get a sense of how the person sitting at home watched a game. And that, that made me lead me to another point on this. Um, 
and I'll answer the question of how I assess my work in a minute. Um, when you watch other people who are really good at this, um, take notes. What makes Kevin Burkhart really good in your mind? What makes Kurt Menefee a good studio host? What do you love about JB on the NFL Today on CBS? What do you like about Jim Nance in golf that may be different from Jim Nance calling a football game? And whatever, whatever traits or skills you like, um, if you heard Kate Scott do the, women's, uh, do the hockey game on Women's Day on NBCSN, uh, what did she do in that game that was really unique for you as a first-time person calling hockey, which is something I got to do last year for the first time? Uh, Beth Mowens, who calls uh, a lot of events in many, many sports. What about everyone's skill set do you like? And then take those and say, okay, that's really cool. Let me take that ability into my personality, my talents, my abilities, and... Now you develop a style. And I think the best way to develop a style is take the best of what you like to hear. Um, we can't usually go around and try to please everyone um, who is watching. It's an impossible uh, journey to set out on that you can make every listener or viewer happy. But I think if you do this for a little bit, you'll find ways to get better really quick. So listen to your work and also uh, steal ideas and thoughts and style from other people and go from there. Now, let me go back to the question somebody said about how do I go about looking at my work and being critical. Uh, I, I like to make sure that we got stuff on the TV or on the radio or in the broadcast, in the studio, that was the best for the viewer and the listener. And sometimes you don't get that sense when you're in the middle of the broadcast, the middle of your preparation. Um, I think when you have a chance to step back and watch how it all played out through the TV, the combination of the production truck and the elements, the analysts, the broadcasters, everybody else, then you know how people listened to it, how they absorbed it, how they enjoyed it. And for me, that's uh, my best way. And I'll take some notes. Um, and okay, next week, I want to make sure that I do a better job of this. I, I want to make sure that um, I should give more of an opportunity to ask a shorter setup question so Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, Chris Sims have more time to respond uh, to these different types of things. So to me, that's the best way. Listen to it, try to absorb it, take it all in and go forward. Um, I just hit the one that's up there. How do you practice uh, spontaneity and processing information quickly? I think you run, through, run stuff through your mind sometimes uh, as you're watching a game. How would I have called that? How would I react to that? How would I have called that moment. Um, you know, there's a fine line between practicing and um, thinking in your mind situations that are going to play out. You know, if you think about uh, some of the best quarterbacks in sports, uh, they talk about seeing ahead. You think about Wayne Gretzky and even Dr. Fauci has uh, said over the last couple of weeks, it's the anticipation of passing uh, where the next person's going to go to. What's the pass after the pass? Those kind of things, right? Uh, those are the important things to me for all of us as sportscasters to figure out how to be anticipatory, genuine in our reactions to things, right? But ready for that next moment to happen so you're not caught unprepared and not ready for it. So I think that's uh, one of the things I would suggest for that. Um, let's see, did I have a, how do I pronounce that moment with any hockey players? 
no, not necessarily. Uh, fortunately, I knew the teams, and I do like the league, so I watch very often. Uh, there are always going to be uh, plain and simple names that are tough to pronounce, right? And the one, the one best way, I think, to solve that problem is to say them over and over and over. Helps you prepare mentally, helps you prepare for when it comes up, because you don't have time to stop and go, uh, how did I phonetically write that out? And, oh, that's, a, that's perhaps a tip that might help some of you. Uh, one thing I do is I try to put on my chart for a broadcast the phonetic spelling of the player's name. Why to do that? Well, you're not going to get a spelling test on your chart. Uh, you're usually not going to share it with people, so uh, they've got a copy off of it, and you've made an error for them. You put on their information you need, and if there's a pronunciation that maybe is a little bit tougher for you, put it right there on your chart phonetically for young broadcasters, college broadcasters, and it just saves time. Instead of putting it in parentheses, as long as you don't have to spell their name correctly, which usually you don't have to do if you're broadcasting it, I think it's a fine way to do that. Uh, somebody asked earlier about uh, working with Hubie Brown, and I will share with you that uh, Hubie for a decade was just the, the greatest person to work with. And he's terrific on the air. He's an encyclopedia of NBA knowledge going back to the early 70s. He's seen everybody and everything in the NBA. So when the next big thing comes along, I look at Hubie and he's able to give me the perspective of everything. Um, all that good stuff, right? So you've got that. But what Hubie is able to do is he's able to give basketball fans a clinic. He's able to teach fundamentals. If you hear him very, very carefully, you'll hear fundamentals, basics, uh, a lot of just simple stuff that should happen on a screen, on a play, watch for this, all that kind of stuff. And he's done it for generations. And um, I reminded the coach of the Dream Team, Chuck Daly, he and Hubie were assistant coaches together at Duke. Uh, that's how far back Hubie's basketball life goes. And to be around him has been uh, nothing short of uh, a joy for me. And those 10 years are wonderful. And the good part is we were talking earlier of what makes a good team, what makes good partners in broadcasts. Uh, Hubie and I were able to uh, stay in touch here over the years. And we talk on a pretty regular basis, which I, uh, I adore him and his wife. And what they've been in our family has been really, really cool. A few of you mentioned Syracuse University, which I don't hide. I say with great pride is one of the most wonderful schools for communications and journalism. And I've spoken to a lot of SU students over the last few weeks as we've gone to a lot of online classes. Syracuse is a really neat place because we have a lot of people who show up together um, at Syracuse and want to be in sportscasting, want to be in journalism. And uh, I got to go to school with people like Ian Eagle and people along the way like Sean McDonough, who was an outgoing senior when I was an incoming freshman. Dan Horde, who's the voice of the Cincinnati Bearcats football and basketball and the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm just scratching the surface. Uh, my college roommate, Paul Peck, spent three decades in Buffalo media in uh, upstate New York, and he's currently the voice of the Buffalo Bulls, uh, their football and some of their basketball coverage as well. Another one of my roommates, Todd Callis, voice, TV voice of the Houston Astros. Uh, after a great run in Tampa as the reporter on the Rays broadcast. And Charlie Palillo was our other roommate. And Charlie has been in Houston Sports Talk for 30-plus years as well. So, like all of us together, this is what we wanted to do. And I didn't even mention Ian Eagle, who's uh, as good as it gets. Hey, did you guys see the, uh, the social media pop with Ian and, uh, and his son? 
it was pretty cool, uh, where uh, Noah went through the whole deal of all of his layups and missed three-point shot after his free throw. And then Ian uh, sank a jumper, which was pretty cool. Uh, it's great to see a second-generation bird and a second-generation orange out there. Somebody mentioned Bill Roth as well. Yeah, Bill, uh, Bill was also one of our uh, great leaders in student media at that point. Bill uh, had a quarter-century run at Virginia Tech that was – one of the great runs of uh, anyone doing play-by-play at any point at any school. And uh, really proud to have Bill as part of our uh, Newhouse team. And I'm sure a bunch of you are doing this, trying to find a way to stay connected while we're socially distancing. And one of the things we all did was we got a lot of our broadcasters from our Syracuse days back together. And we all did a terrific Zoom hangout with about 19 of us to uh, catch up on the time we spent together, the time we enjoyed together, and what everybody's up to. Because uh, we've all stayed uh, involved in sport. Most of all of us have stayed involved in sports in a lot of ways, including um, uh, Kevin Martinez, who is one of the top marketing people in all of Major League Baseball. And he's doing that in Seattle for the Mariners. Uh, let's see. Let's bang through a couple more here real quick before I've got a scoop because I've got another call to do in about 20 minutes. Here. I was going to hit this one uh, and I let it go by before I apologize. Oh, uh, that was the one. Do I miss college hoops play-by-play? College football, I get a chance to do with our nerd aim package at NBC. Yeah, I do miss college hoops. College hoops was fun. I got to work with Dan Dockett for a while. I got to work with Bill Raftery uh, along the way. Um, a couple of the terrific analysts in the business had the opportunity to work games with Jay Billis and Dick Vitale. Of course, all of those people, which is a pretty special experience for me. Uh, I guess because I'm a Syracuse alum and spent those formative days at Syracuse from 84 to 88 and then a couple of years in the market after that, really had the chance to experience college basketball at its finest because the teams were terrific. 30,000 fans, which nobody gets for college basketball games uh, even now. Syracuse fans are all-time great. And uh, we did a uh, Facebook Live watch party with a lot of folks and had the opportunity to have uh, Jim Beheim, Mike Hopkins, Hakeem Warwick, Carmelo Anthony, et cetera, on that call of seeing a bunch of familiar faces, about 50,000 Syracuse fans and alums and relive the 2003 National Championship. But uh, those great days of the early Big East was uh, something special, and that forever formed a love of college basketball. I hope college basketball can get back to something like that again. College hoops isn't what it was for a variety of reasons. I think because of the one and done, because of guys going early. But there are so many more good young players that the quality has stayed pretty high. I think because teams aren't together long enough, we don't see those great runs that teams have had over the years. I wish they would um, find a way to keep teams together longer. And I thought we saw that with like Dayton and San Diego State this year. Top five teams that had opportunities because they had players who'd stayed around and played together for a while. So uh, that's something I miss in college hoops. Uh, I miss calling college hoop games, of course. Uh, had a great run, though, and enjoyed uh, a lot of doing that. Um, the college basketball world and the college football world are going to be very interesting to watch. I thought what Wisconsin said yesterday was pretty interesting, that they weren't going to have the spring athletes come back um, for scholarships, even though the NCAA gave them the go-ahead. The college athletic space and the finances there are going to be really interesting. Let me wrap up with uh, – with one last uh, bit of advice, I'll do two things. I'll ask one, one question that went by before and then I'll wrap up with some, uh, some advice for the young broadcasters who are watching. And thank you for hopping on uh, 
when you get a big moment in sports, how do you handle it? Uh, I think some thought beforehand helps. Uh, there are some that I'd love to love to go back and do again. I got lucky on one in New Orleans. I was able to call the play and get out of the way of the Steve Gleason block punt, the return to Katrina game. And you don't know sometimes if you want to make the great call, if you want to knock out the great call, or just lay out and, and let the crowd do it. I think it's some combination of both. If you've got a really good call and it's right there and you do it, I think that's really cool because it helps elevate and punctuate the moment. It helps it make it last. But if the crowd is phenomenal, there's nothing like a great crowd going nuts. So uh, I would highly recommend you feel the moment and watch other great moments as they've been called and handled. It gives you a lot of runway to help understand here's the best way to handle this going forward. And, you know, sometimes uh, you lay out, you don't get that great call. And some of the great moments in sports are elevated by those great calls. So there's never one right answer, but you just got to feel it out and Feel out the environment as well. I think the crowd is probably the one that should make sure that you get a chance to hear from them. Uh, thank you for all the kind words and the questions. This has been fun to hang out in EJ's classroom. The, the, one, the one thing I'll leave you with is you've got a great opportunity here, even though it's a very difficult time, uh, to continue to get better at your craft. And uh, how is that? And maybe it's not live play-by-play -play you can do, but podcast interviews, getting yourself on camera, working hard so that when you, if you're a college student, when you do get back to class, you're ready to be even better. And for the class of 2020, for some of you who might be college seniors who are watching, um, this is a tough hand you've been dealt. But the great athletes, and when the Olympics were postponed, we had a bunch of Olympians on. And the great athletes said, this is a chance to add it to your story, to be inspired by it and overcome it. And that's usually what makes great athletes, great sports stories that we share, and really gives you the opportunity to have something as a foundation for a memory that you grow from in your career. So class of 2020 people who are out there, uh, make, make this opportunity something that works in your favor. Most importantly, follow all the recommendations from the CDC, stay healthy, let's be vigilant because the quicker we all do this, the quicker we can all get back to sports, quicker we can get back to being fans, quicker we can get back to being in the arena and uh, broadcasting the sports we love. I thank Professor EJ for, uh, for a chance to run his class I look forward to watching what some of the other folks are going to do here. And uh, you all stay safe. We'll see you down the road. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into this episode of EJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson, Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.